everyone still looks uncomfortable. Perhaps it all remembered that old saying, power corrupts. Welcome to Second Officer Slog. I'm your host, M. With me is regular co-host Jackson. Hello. We're here to talk about the Orville. The Orville has premiered, created by Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> it is a Fox television show that is airing. It is a comedic take on the ideas of Star Trek. Yes. It is... You know, I didn't look up any more information. I like background information on the Orville. I'm watching the Orville. I've seen two episodes. There are three out. I've heard the third episode is fucking terrible. Uh, it's a gender episode, apparently. I don't know. It's going to be bad. Fuck. I think this is, that's the Braga directed one. So 2017, okay, Brandon Braga directs a gender fake Star Trek episode at the same time as Star Trek Discovery as the world is going crazy. We're here to talk about Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> No, I mean, I want. I, I do want to mention, so I watched the first episode of The Orville, and it is shockingly Star Trek. It is more, it is structured more like Star Trek than Discovery is to date. Uh, there's there's episode titles after the cold opening credits, uh, the ways it fades out and fades back in to, like, officers' logs and turbo lifts, and it just feels like TNG. Um the part where it's not about anything is a real bummer because to me, Star Trek has to be about something. Like a lot of stuff's happening and it's very Star Trek y. But like the part where there's like moralizing about people or allegories just turns into like, like ham fisted, divorced guy feelings about well, we're, we're learning to get along and be human beings. And it's very trite. You're telling and me it's a bummer. that Seth MacFarlane wants like to make the thing he liked as a kid, but just make it about him? Yeah, no, you're, yes, it is that. It is that. It is that. Uh, in a world where there wasn't new Star Trek airing, you'd probably be like, I'll take it. I'll take the fake bad TNG. I mean, I'm going to keep watching it. We will. I will keep giving you reports as to what's going on with the Orville for at least a little while longer. It's true. It is true. But as we have been avoiding really mentioning... Oh, God, there's new Star Trek. We're here to talk about new Star Trek. New Star Trek aired yesterday. Oh, Star Trek Beyond. Yes, Star Trek Beyond, directed by Justin Lin, written by Simon Pegg and some other guy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, probably guy who did more of the writing. I don't know. I'm Look, I'm very tired. I'm so tired. Oh, uh, that's fair. Okay, so we're here to talk about Discovery. The first two episodes aired. Uh, Jackson, since you don't live in America, you're watching this on Netflix. Yes, I, I am. As a person who is in America, am paying the $10 a month for the CBS All Access app without commercials, because that's who I am. So if I wanted to watch Young Sheldon, I could get... I think that airs this week sometime. Anyway, I could watch Young Sheldon. Well, I'm they, very happy I really you. want you to watch Young Sheldon, because I'm sure it costs a 20th the cost of any episode of Star Trek. Uh, almost certainly. <laughs> Uh, Star Trek Discovery, if you didn't know, is the new Star Trek. It is 15 episodes. The first two premiered yesterday. Uh, we're here to talk about them. Uh, this was originally uh, run by Brian Fuller, who left the show um, because he wanted to do American Gods more and 
I don't know how you do. I don't know how you get the keys to Star Trek and then turn them over to someone else to make something else. Yeah, like there's there are articles about it and the story, but like we'll never know actual details. But the story seems to be he was running two shows at once and was focusing too much on American Gods, and CBS were pissed off because it's fucking Star Trek. We hired you to do Star Trek, and you're not doing it. Yeah, uh, which both of us were like incensed because. If we got the keys to Star Trek, we're not doing anything else. <laughs> like, also, we, I've read yeah. American Gods. Like, fuck off. <laughs> yes. Star Trek's much better. <laughs> also, it's the fucking... What's his face book? Neil Gaiman. You know. Uh, we will well, be we're doing not here these... to drag Neil Gaiman today. <laughs> no. Other days. There are other times. But no, we are be going to be doing these podcasts uh, every week shortly after the episode airs. Hopefully, Tuesdays is our goal. But if that slips, that's because the perils of recording weekly episodic uh, casts are... Yep. that way but that's the these that's will the be goal. out tuesday or wednesday that those are the yeah I, I will endeavor greatly unless one of us is sick or something to not have it be later than wednesday yes that is our goal so. um and we're very excited it's going to be our first time watching along and like doing the podcasting as the show goes and being blind to the future of it so uh we'll just go episode by episode we're gonna kind of do summaries and then we'll talk about how we felt about it uh, this is gonna be probably a mess because me and jackson actually have barely talked about these since they aired and that will continue to be true because uh sunday night and then i go to work and then we record as soon as i get home from work so episode one is called the vulcan hello it is written story by brian fuller and alex kurtzman teleplay by brian fuller and akiva goldsman is directed by david semmel this takes place May 11th, 2256. We have rarely been given such a specific date, but it opens with it. Uh, she gives the start date and then goes, that's May 11th. It's a Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> um, we are presented with uh, two crews. One is the Klingons on a what is called the sarcophagus ship. And the Klingons are, I'm trying to find in this memory alpha list, the guy's name. And it doesn't want to give me that guy's name. Oh, Tukovmi? Or Tukovni? Tukovma. Tukovma. Okay. Yes, I knew Tukovma that. is in a large chamber. He wants to light a beacon. Uh, his goal is to light this giant beacon ship that will cast a light throughout the entire Klingon empire. And with it, uh, bring the houses, the desperate houses of the Klingons back together to unite under the banner of Kalos reincarnated as him as he's lit in, as he's lit this <laughs> new beacon. So basically it's lit in the Klingon Empire. Yes. Uh that that's basically what happens to the Klingons this episode. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we have on the uh Shenzo uh Captain Giorgio and Commander Burnham. Uh Bur Burnham. Yes, I said Burnham, right? What am I doing? Yes, come on. Just got out of work. I'm the tired one. You're you I should know. be on the bull. Uh, they're on the ship, uh, with, uh, Lieutenant Sorrow. He's a lieutenant, right? Yes, science officer Lieutenant Sorrow. Yep. Uh, Commander Burnham, Michael Burnham, she is the first officer. She was raised on Vulcan after her parents were killed by Klingons and, uh, Sarek found her and basically was like, you can go to the Vulcan Science Academy and stand in little science domes from, uh, what is that, Into Darkness? That's probably? from 09. It's how, like, Spock okay. gets, like, punched by the... Vulcan bullies. Yeah, I, d I didn't remember if that was an 09 or... No, because it cuts from him to sabotage. Oh, great. Uh, and Captain Georgiou has been tasked with like, oh, you take care of her because she needs a guiding hand. Because honestly, she's really Vulcan now. Anyway, they're here and they are investigating uh, what seems like a strange anomalous reading. And you're like, oh, that's clearly like a cloaked ship or something. It's going to go bad. 
and uh, Commander Burnham goes out in a space suit, and guess what? It's the Klingon. It's the Klingon uh, beacon ship. I guess we'll call it. Yeah. It's called the beacon ship. There is like a visible part of the ship called the beacon. Um, Although it's separate, but there's a thing called the beacon, and, and there's like a Klingon warrior standing on it, and she goes on a flyby. Um, but like, there's signal interference, so she's on her own, and accidentally ends up killing this Klingon as the Klingon pulls out a Batleth like in space to murder her. Yeah. Uh, uh, assimilate this. Uh, uh, yes, it was assimilated. <laughs> uh. <laughs> anyway, she's like she rockets into that Klingon and like cracks the helmet of her thing and is spinning off in space, getting radiation poisoning. And she's picked up, uh, by the Shenzo and she wakes up like all gross and recovering from radiation poisoning. But she's the only one who knew there were Klingons out there while the ship is continuing to just be the ship. And she goes out, she's like, there's Klingons. We need to do something. Uh, Klingons are scary. No one's seen a Klingon for like almost a hundred years. And which means since broken bow, basically, mm-hmm. um, we'll get there. And uh, sh- when they threaten, when she's like, we need to turn on the way to get the Klingons attention is to turn on our weapons. And the minute they do that, the giant sarcophagus ship decloaks and there is a standoff and Burnham freaks out and contacts Sarek and is like, what do I do? And Sarek says, the Klingons only understand violence. The way that the Vulcans established first contact was every time we saw Klingons, we fucked them up until they started talking to us. I don't know if that's going to work for you, but good luck, I guess. And when she tries to do that, uh, obviously, uh, Captain Georgia is not having it because the Federation doesn't shoot first. Federation doesn't shoot first. Uh, and Commander Burnham does not agree to the point where she sucker punches with Vulcan neck pinch the captain and tries to commandeer the ship and cause that to happen, like to fire on the Klingon ship and uh, is stopped by Captain Georgiou coming in with a phaser, pointing it at her. Tensions are high. And then the Klingons light the beacon and suddenly an entire Klingon fleet shows up. Yeah, like uh, uh, Burnham's argument is basically, oh shit, they are going to call for reinforcements. We are extremely fucked. We need to fire on them first to show that we are not just like going to go into fake diplomacy because they'll hate us for it uh if, at least if we like they're not she knows that she they can't actually hurt the ship but she knows that if at least we fire on them they'll have our respect um and so you get the end of this pilot episode with the first officer has mutinied a- attempted to command the the bridge the science officer is like having a breakdown and the captain's pointing a phaser at her it's hot, tensions are running extremely high this is 43 minutes in yeah <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot happening. Yes. Um, so, do we want to go through this episode, or do we want to? Because uh, I, I almost think of them as a like a two-parter. Like, yeah, you're you're right. We should probably go through all of them. Yes, I I would rather do it that way, and then we'll go through. Okay, all and then takes. we can just talk forever. Yes, because once <laughs> okay. we start. Yes. Um, the second episode, Battle at the Binary Stars. I love that name. Also, I love Gundam. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, teleplay by Gretchen L. Berg and Aaron Harberts, directed by Adam Kane. Uh, this takes place literally three seconds after the end of last episode, so we are still in 2256. Oh, um, holy. In it, uh, the the Shenzhou is basically not sure what to do with this Klingon fleet that is here suddenly. Uh, there's a bunch of conversations about whether they should fire, whether they should not. We need to engage communications. Uh, Commander Burnham's taken to the brig for her insubordination because, come on. You, you fucking nerve pinched the captain and tried to fight, start a war. Um, 
Klingons uh, all have this conversation with the great houses because the great houses show up and it's just a cavalcade of cool looking Klingons. Uh, they're, I'm really excited to spend more time with these Klingon houses because they seem wild. Um, anyway, uh, that conversation happens. And while they're all having this conversation being like, well, obviously you've brought us this glory. Now we need to go and do something. The rest of the Federation shows up in like another, like a dozen Federation ships, uh, including the Admiral who we saw in the first episode and didn't mention, but the Admiral's there. Um, and almost as soon as the Federation ships show up, the Klingon Empire is like, well, they're here. We have now that uh, we have a battle worth fighting. We're going to fight it. And they open fire and everybody dies everybody dies is what actually happens now it's very poorly <laughs> it goes so poorly for the federation uh the admiral ship is fucked uh the the uh shenzu is messed up where like burnham's in the brig and is just like only the force fields protecting that area have kept her alive because there's just a void space outside of her, the force field um and it's really bad. She gets, she, uh, MacGyver's her way back onto the bridge, uh, with, uh, uh, Captain Georgiou, and they concoct a plan to go and get Tukovma, because if they steal, if they can capture Tukovma, then they can, they can actually, uh, what do I want? Negotiate with the Klingons, because if they kill Tukovma, like, oh, he's just gonna become a martyr, and this war's gonna go on forever, so we need to actually capture him, and then maybe they'll come to the table, because we've dishonored their new, like, what do they call him? The torchbearer? Like their new leader guy. No, he's the leader. He's like he's just like the new Kales. The torchbearer is someone oh, right. else. Who, oh, right, right. Because right. that's a, like a it's, subplot that we'll get yes, to when we talk like, about that. It's like albino Klingon. Yes. Yes, the white Klingon, which was something I was not on board with for, uh, at the start, but it seems okay right now. Um anyway, the they decide like the best way to do this, the Klingons are gathering their dead because a lot of Klingons also died, but not as many as the Federation. And they beam a photon torpedo onto a Klingon body as it's being pulled up into the ship and blow up the sarcophagus ship, literally cut off the head of the ship and then beam aboard and get in a fight. And in that fight, uh, Captain Jojo is killed. As is Takovma by Commander Burnham, who shoots him in the back and escapes, only to be taken to jail for all of the insubordination and the war she has started. Uh, the ship is fucked. Like, Saru is the only named character that we know has survived also off of the thing, but that's just because of the marketing. Saru is like a big in the marketing, um, and she is sent to jail for the rest of her life. Yep. It's a big, it's, a, it's basically a mini Star Trek movie. Yeah. Uh, even in a way that like the other pilots aren't necessarily like it's very eventful and big and action heavy uh it's got some also like the actual namesake of the ship and most of the cast members have not shown up yet that's true the discovery is not there uh and there's only two only two slash th only three regular cast members that i know of have been introduced i guess if sarek may might be one he might be a guest star i don't know who's like regular, yeah regular. i don't know how much sarek is in that um but like I'm assuming Albino Klingon uh and um Sarah and uh, Burnham. Albino Albino Klingon and the Lady Klingon are major characters. Okay, so the Lady Klingon. Okay, that makes sense. Or at least they were in like the pr promotional material. Like they've uh they brought her out a lot also. So I think she's also a major character. Mm -hmm. But they also they also totally acted like Takovma was going to be a major character, and that dude fucking ate it. So Yep. I mean they like Everyone knew Michelle Yeoh was going to ate it as well. 
Um, so the thing was uh, the thing we we did, we had discussed is like which captain because they basically the the advertisements were like here are these two captains and two ships which captain is going to eat it <laughs> first <laughs> and it it's definitely Georgiou Georgiou ate it Georgiou in completely ate it and uh, we're gonna meet Jason Isaacs next week but we're both sticking our forks down right here and saying he's evil <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, before we get into this episode, there's a little preview of what's coming up in the next. It's like this season, and it's she gets on the Discovery, and the Discovery is a weird ship, and there's a lot of space mystery. It's kind of been teased in a lot of the trailers. There's like something weird going on on the ship. Saru is there. Saru's not happy to see her. Um, I bet. I, yeah. Uh, Jason Isaac's uh, captain, who is called Captain Lorca, I think, uh, is there, and he's definitely happy to see her because she's brilliant and got shit done, which leads to maybe he's evil to me, but. Uh, and then there's a war of the Klingons and crazy shit happens. It seems more like actual Star Trek is going to happen. Yes. Um, but uh, my my prediction has always been that the Discovery is a weird mystery ship because Lorca is doing like ill Section 31 shit and brought Burnham on board because he's like, oh, you started the war of the Klingons. You know that we have to do what is necessary because I'm a Star Trek captain who is evil, like most evil Star Trek captains. And then she's going to be like, look, no, we can't actually do this. We have to be Starfleet. Yeah, she's going to do the exact same thing, but like in reverse and own the person who has selected her because she owned the previous person. Yeah. Uh, which writes itself, but it'll be satisfying to see. If that is exactly yeah. what happens, sorry, I guess, but that's our that's our yeah. guess right now yeah no what are you gonna do and then season two should it exist will be uh captain burnham yeah but if it exists is the big uh question here because this looks like the most expensive thing i've ever seen this is one of oh the most God. expensive episodes of television i've ever watched like i've never you know, seen a game of thrones i assume they are also oh, i watched expensive. most of season one and it looked expensive but not like this okay because this is crazy yes <laughs> like yeah this this is this is punching its weight with the actual star trek movies that cost like a hundred million dollars yeah like you just look at the models of the ships not even in the action scenes like the, just the polish on the way these ships look the lighting effects the amount of work that's clearly gone into every shot it that's there's an effects budget on this thing yep the sets are and like, incredible yeah the, the the wild sets like this the suspended bridge of the shenzo which is like underneath instead of on top so you could just like look out and you see like the the roof of the top of the saucer above and it's all windows and all of the view screen all of the screens are like actual movable like touch screens and stuff because it's 2017 so every display is like a functional display that would have just on set. Like there's no visual effects going into those. They're just nice designs. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a really nice looking show. Yeah. It's a lot. That was one of our first reactions and has been like for months. Uh, the design is great. It's got one of our favorite uniforms. Yeah, that uniform is instantly the best. I mean, they know their opening titles are literally look at all this cool shit we have. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's been a long road. Yeah. Uh, it is is interesting because it is like very much like look at the set design, look at what Star Trek is. Here's a phaser, here's a communicator, here's a spacesuit. But also to me, it evokes like the sequel to Enterprise, where Enterprise was like, here's the Wright brothers, here's a car, here's the space shuttle, uh, here's Zephyr and Cochran, and then here's the Enterprise, and like moving that forward. I don't know. So much of this feels, and we'll talk about it when we get into what the actual episode's about. So much of this feels like this is the sequel to Enterprise. Yeah, we were very vindicated as the Enterprise defenders. Yeah. Yep, the Enterprise Defenders have logged on. And they also made this show. <laughs> yep. 
uh, because <laughs> like Enterprise uh, is a obviously like it's one it does the thing where it's a prequel to star trek uh but it doesn't look like a show that came, like it's not trying to be a retro show in the way of we are making a prequel to a 60s show it looks like the future uh and this does the same thing of it just looks like what uh the technology would be like at this period i think the if they had lent into making it like retro looking and trying to fit it in with the 60s star trek aesthetic it would have been a terrible mistake i understand why some nerds like want that but no no i mean like originally the brian fuller thing was they were gonna have more classical uniforms where like the colors like the original show and it would have been fine i really like the uniforms they went with but like aesthetically like there are things you could do i love that like the doors and the bridge make the original sound effects yeah like and that's it does a lot you just hear the and you're like oh that's the noise yeah the the whoosh of the doors is very specific to the original series Mm -hmm. Oh, God, the, the door wish. Yeah. But then also, like, there's holograms everywhere because it's 2017. And when we look at what the future looks like in 200 years, it's going to have holograms in it, probably. And s- someone walked into a room and said, you know what's boring? View screen conversations. And I went, I ran in and went, no! Because <laughs> I'm a big view screen conversation fan. But yes. I mean, they still happen to have a V-screen conversation. Oh, yeah, but when there's, like, a so, full scene with the Admiral who isn't on the ship, he just acts like he's on the ship. What I what I like that it implies is that V-screen conversations with other aliens are going to still be V-screen conversations, but the, like, I sit at my laptop and Skype the Admiral conversations can be uh, holograms, and that's better because those are actually bad. Oh, the ones where it's, like, a close-in zoom on the tiny yep. screen on, like, Picard's desk or something? Yes. Those can just be holograms. Yes. Uh, are we going to get a scene where there's a hologram on... Wait, no, that happened in this episode, didn't it? What? Where there's a hologram on the bridge looking at the view screen. Yeah. Yes. No, the hologram <laughs> looks at the view screen, turns and points to, like, someone at, like, ops and is like, hey, please do this thing, and it's weird. Right, yes. Like, he steps down from the bridge, like, the captain's, like, pedestal down a step to where the bridge crew is. It's, yes. Uh, there are some aesthetic things going on. Um and it's some jar- some jarring takes a little bit of getting used to, but I am I'm on yep. board. Uh, Rip Magil Barrett Roddenberry, who is no longer voiced in the computer. Which okay, is a shame. so did did that also like? Because obviously we can't. She's dead. It's she I. I'm 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 glad that they replaced her instead of trying to do some like weird voice yes. font thing. But I because I think feel, that would be awful. I think it would be terrible as well. But I still was like, that's not the computer voice. <laughs> that, no, it's not. That's but we're the one we're thing. gonna any future Star Trek is going to need a new computer voice. We're just gonna have to live with. I know, that. I know, but it it still it was still a bummer. Yeah. Um, uh, but yes, I guess we've been talking about like the peripheral stuff. We should talk about the like, do you, what do you think of Michael? I want to say before we get into this one last peripheral bullshit thing. Yes. Put the titles of your episodes (laughs) in the episodes. What are you doing? Your Star Trek. (laughs) Tell me about it. Like at least, at least it's 2017 and it's a streaming service. So everyone's going to see them. Like, it's yep. not like you're going to miss them if they're not in the TV guide. You see them when you click on the episode. But but if you're going to have a minute and a half long credit sequence, after that credit sequence, I want you to tell me the name of the episode. I want the episode to fade. And the, the, the episodes all fade up on big, like, shots that could totally fit it. Yep. Yep. No, for sure. It's a... Maybe... It's weird because this so feels like it, it is a prelude to the actual show. Maybe the actual show can have that stuff. It Who knows? Won't. It won't, but 
like stylistically, this thing is going to feel radically different to what the show is going to be mm-hmm. because this is meant to be like, hey, this is some backstory that leads into what our show is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't expect it to be that different, but yes. I don't know. Like, you just look at like the shots in like preview images of what the Discovery looks like, like interior, even though it's the same sets because they have to save money somewhere. Uh, it just looks like a different show. It's like it, it feels different. Uh, the bridges are like radically different, right? But the sets are mostly similar. I yeah, remember that's how they worked it out. Yeah, like they have like they use the same like uh like hot like just corridor sets and room sets, and they just light them differently. I remember some just like amazing images of how the lighting just completely changes that space. Yep. Uh, but uh, so Michael, or get it, Michael Burnham Michael is Burnham, great. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um. So the interesting to me, thing with me to me, blah, blah, blah. Yes. The interesting thing to me with this is you have a character. That one is just like reverse wharf where like Klingons killed her family and the Vulcan took her in. Um, <laughs> uh, and what this by being raised with a Vulcan, you get this really interesting, like, look at Vulcan life. That's very different from like Spock or T'Pol or something where she's trained in all of the Vulcan ways but because she's still a human and like a young human at that, even though she's like clearly smart and clearly good at logic, she uses logic in the same bullshit ways Vulcans do. But it's much more dangerous when a human's doing it. Yes. Like the when she, when she, the Klingons show up, she's panicked because the Klingons kill her family and it's upsetting and she's clearly like traumatized by this. But what she does is like retreat into logic where she uses like her performative remoteness to hide her panic even to herself and like her ability to like lie to herself that no i am advising the proper logical thing to do is like actually the most dangerous thing in the world oh my god yeah because the idea that any star trek protagonist could end the first episode by fucking knocking out their captain (laughs) is insane uh Mm -hmm. but it's because that she is like so good at uh reacting to the, her like trauma and panic by just going behind yes this is the right thing to do it may conflict with x y and z but it, like this is the best choice i have looked at all the options and chosen the good one therefore whatever i do is justified and when you're a terrified traumatized like young starfleet officer that's really bad oh god it goes so badly <laughs> Yeah, no, like you, you you see the choice. You're like, of course it led to this. Of course it fucking led to this. Vulcans, of course the Vulcans taught her to be like this. Um, and it's just disaster. Like the end of episode one and like the first bit of episode two is just this mounting dread that you know exactly how this is going to go. Yes. <laughs> and there's nothing anyone can do to stop it. Uh, it's a real, it's a, it's a lot. Uh, but I, I love Michael. I thought she made a great impression at the start of the show. I was like, one of the things I was worried about, as is true of the um, uh, like Abrams movies, especially less so of Beyond, mm. but the dialogue's really bad the dialogue's really yeah with the movie dialogue with the bantering and the jokes it just doesn't feel right and so the fact that even before they introduce her as this half well not half vulcan but like adopted vulcan uh yes it's really interesting how they did that hasn't really been done much on star trek i like it a lot Uh, but before they introduce that fact of her character she's just talking like that and it sounds like detached and weird if you haven't watched star trek before and the fact that they are confident enough to just go with no this is the character uh she's going to give some like awkward monologues about how close the windstorm is and that's how we're that's how we're kicking this off uh made me feel like oh okay this is actually a real star trek thing we're good everything is fine here 
But also, when she gets in the EVA suit to go explore the unknown, she's having a great time, where Spock was just the most stoic man. Yes, the riff on uh, the motion picture happens in this. <laughs> yes. Which I don't know if it's intentional, but I, I appreciated it, nonetheless. Yeah, no. I mean, it's the only it's the only thing, I guess, outside of First Contact a little, where, like, EVA suits are, like, a f- functionally important part of Star Trek. Um and I, I can't help but think it's like a deliberate thing. But no, uh, her being this way is interesting only in that, like, it opens with uh, Captain Georgiou being like, you're ready to be a captain. And then we immediately see her on the bridge, like, interacting with Saru. And it's very clear she is not ready to be a captain. Are you kidding me? Yes. Uh, like, Georgiou and Burnham have a really, really good relationship. Uh, I like uh how quickly they establish them as like not just friends in the way that um uh like you know everyone gets along in starfleet but they like they get along they have like they are best friends everything has been great for them they have loved these last seven years uh which makes the way the episode goes down a lot to deal with it's it's like it's like picard Riker, but if Riker was wesley crusher in a lot of ways yes uh (laughs) like you get the sense that she like that uh captain georgiou like raised her like you came to me as like a weird vulcan who like trainee who didn't understand what it was meant to be human and i'm the one who brought humanity back to you where you can be fun and tease saru and bounce off of him and stuff and and that family dynamic like this episode is like the most can the star trek like bridge crew about to explore a space mystery scene can that scene do the heavy lifting of three seasons of backfill and it does all right it's amazing how well they do because yeah like one it uh the opening scenes of them on the bridge when she's bickering with saru are like they're really good and they have to be because they're basically it basically they need you to feel like this is a you've had off screen a full television show because the episode two opens with a flashback uh to specifically seven years ago which is the exact length of a star trek show <laughs> um <laughs> as in the pilot of the show that never existed um she comes aboard and she's just wearing ludicrous vulcan clothes and being really mean to everyone because it is not logical to simply be nice on site why would i do that and the the gulf between where she is now uh and where she began is like very real and they make that a thing that you can feel in these two hours so then the fact that she's just in the brig waiting to die as uh she's basically sent her best friend and everyone she has ever known outside of vulcan into a dying war is oh yeah no for sure and uh so i guess that brings us to saru who is given top billing in the show doug jones hold it down 2017 there is a new star trek show and doug jones is second billing yeah uh lieutenant saru is gosh i had his let me go pull up who he is again uh because it says it says his race it's like kelpian something like that oh i got it right kelpian good 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 for me uh he's a kelpian who are like a prey race on his planet like so he is a weird lizard gazelle man um, who is very hesitant about everything and believes everything to be like hostile intent. Um, he's like, it, it, you know, it's easy to be reductive, but he's like, if Worf's answer was to shoot everything, his answer is to run away from everything. Cause it's going to shoot you. And it's, it's a pretty good science officer stance. I feel like. Yes. It's, uh, it's very good. Uh, he looks kind of like 
<laughs> this is a dumb thing, but he looks like the design of the banking clan in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> with the weird uh, it's much less racist thank oh, you oh yes much less racist I mean that's a given it's a Star Trek prequel design <laughs> um but uh, I also um like the idea of this kind of character being a science officer in gung-ho 23rd century Star Trek where like Christopher Pike's out there in the Enterprise with like Spock in his home go- getting into fucking bad adventures. And here's this Kelpian who is afraid of everything, who is also a science officer on a Federation starship. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, he's great. And the, he like has that as just his character arc or the character beat as like through these scenes. And then <laughs> like, halfway through the episode, he basically goes up to her and goes, uh, did you know that uh, I am a prey race, which means that every single part of me has been like genetically evolved throughout years of my race being hunted to sense the coming of death. I sense it coming now. <laughs> and it's like written uh, as a super yep. dramatic line, but Doug Jones is still delivering it in the scared Doug Jones voice. So it's great. <laughs> yeah, I know it's, it's, it is, uh, behind that he's door, not like he's not evening. necessarily a com- he's not ex- yeah he's not exactly a comical character but yeah he's definitely that the thing with that the thing that's funny about that is that in that first hellboy movie he's dubbed over with uh uh oh, right what's his face right. right he's dubbed over by um i don't remember niles, him, but- oh, <laughs> niles! Yes. i don't remember his the uh, actor's name uh that's but fine, niles. But niles um fact checking was and- this podcast he uh he said when that movie came out he's like i dubbed over all his lines and i told them it was a bad idea they shouldn't have hired me he's great let him do it and they let him do it in hellboy 2 and it's basically like the exact same performance because they don't sound very different i don't know why they got him to do that voice and now doug jones is on the bridge uh of a star trek ship yep it's great uh, yes big fans of doug jones over here yeah, no, uh, check out him being a fucky fish man this Christmas. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah, no, me either. Fake Hellboy. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it is it is a very good... Uh, she's a very good character, uh, and so is Saru. It's a good dynamic. Everything yep. is good and we have Sarek. Sarek back again. Oh, I said Sarek when I meant to say Sarek. God damn it. No, no, no. I'm I'm moving along. You did not fuck up. No, this I, I also said Sarek. Oh, did you? Yes. Okay. Okay. But, yes. Yep. We have Sarek back, uh, recast, of course, because uh, Mark Leonard is one would have been too old, and two, I think he's dead. I'm fairly uh, sure he's dead. Um, and we have a Sarek that is. The Sarek that's depicted is very similar to the one in TNG. There's like a, a Vulcan who's maybe more than most Vulcans is aware that Vulcans are kind of full of shit and are just actually really emotional people who are really good at covering it up. Yes. Um, and he plays it that way, and it's really good. Like, it's sad when you think that, oh, like, on another ship is his son, who he's never been as expressive towards as he is, this, like, girl he picked up someday to, like, be his fake daughter. Uh, yeah, you, uh, you mentioned on another uh, one of these podcasts that, like, Sarek is just kind of on his bullshit all the time, flirting from human woman to human woman. <laughs> yes. I meant his wives, but yeah, he kind of also puts that on to Burnham. Yeah. As like, you can be my daughter. You can make me proud. I've always thought that you could be the best. Like, your human heart will not make you a perfect Vulcan, but it'll be better than my son, <laughs> who's also a Vulcan, but cursed with a human heart. <laughs> oh, Sarek is extremely extra. <laughs> yeah, no, he really is. But 
I mean, he he he's trying, and here he is like this mentor role. Like when she's in the brig, there's like this flash of like a Katra communication because he'd mind melded with her when she was really young, which leaves like an imprint of the person in you, which is canon. Um, the part where you can use it to talk to that person maybe less canon. But I, whatever. I read it as she was talking to him inside of her like it wasn't like, yes i also read it that way because it was uh, it i've was, seen i've yeah. seen other people react like is this some weird communication and i was like i don't know if i buy that yeah she's just talking to herself but through her mentor figure i mean he does mention that it costs a lot but i think that means that like the sense of himself in her would probably lessen every time she used it mm-hmm. yes that's like there's a line that could read it either way but i'm taking it that way because it makes way more sense then if he's on Vulcan and suddenly just zones out because he's receiving a call. <laughs> Sorry, my mind <laughs> melt brain. imprint is cooling me in my brain. <laughs> I have to teach her to fly through space. You know, which, uh, the scene- he's like, oh, you need to survive. And her solution to survive is to do the thing we both, I think, is our least favorite yeah. scene. <laughs> we really don't episodes. like this scene. Where she, so she's in the brig and she's sealed up and she's like, oh, well, the the power's going to fail. I'm going to be exposed to space. And the computer's like, yes, that's correct. You've got like eight minutes. She's like, well, can you like, let me out? Show me the schematics. Let me do something. She's like, no, you're in the brig. You, the computer's like, no, you're in the brig. You can't do any of that. You're I'm not allowed. And she's like, well, your goal is to preserve my safety. And the computer's like, yep, that's correct. And it's like, well, then I need to get to where there's air over uh, like across the hallway. And the computer's like, yeah, sure. I guess that's true. Uh, but you can't operate the door because you don't have clearance. She's like, well, if you open the door for me, I could fly over there and be safe. And so she, like, tricks the computer into letting her do this, uh, which is, like, a neat action sequence, I guess. It's in all the trailers. Like, obviously, this is, like, one of your money shots. But I don't think you need to convince the computer to do anything. Like, the Star Trek computer is not an AI that has, like, ethical protocols about stuff like this. Yeah, like, I've always read the computer as, in the event of an emergency, will resort to, like, a actual protocol and not... I have to convince it in a wacky comedy AI. Like this was the scene that was the most kind of out of place and not needed to me. Um, I understand why it's the one that it's the one that feels least like what Star Trek computers are. Cause Star Trek computers are explicitly always tools. Yes. Yes. Star Trek does not do the, this is an AI stuff with a computer. Like that's for holograms. That's for these, like there are places where that happens and they examine the sentience of like computers, but the, like the ship computer is just a computer. Uh, it's one of those I curse the modern era for giving us a bunch of personifications of fake ladies uh, in our phones and computers. Yes, this scene happened in Guardians of the Galaxy too. Exactly. Oh, did it? Really? No, I'm saying it okay. could. I haven't seen that movie. Uh, okay, I was gonna say I didn't think you'd seen that, no. but like I, I can go and argue with Siri any day. I'm not going to because Siri sucks. But <laughs> calling you out, Siri. I mean, they all suck. It's true. Cortana also sucks. Cortana, yep. yeah. Cortana also sucks. She sucks extra for also being a naked blue lady in video games. <laughs> oh, the feature's so dumb. Uh, speaking know, of the brick stuff, though, uh, it's not a, like a character that's going to show up again because he he eats it. But the scene where the guy, uh, victim of a traditional Star Trek owning as his console blows up. Uh, on the bridge. No. I forget the lieutenant's name, but he is like, he's just a guy on the bridge who, in hindsight, is clearly doomed because he's like the happy go lucky, like, hey, enjoy your flight uh, as she goes out uh, on the spacewalk. Uh, and so in the battle, his uh, console gets blown up and he walks into the brig because that's uh, where Burnham is. And he's like, oh, I need to help you, but I need to go to sick bed. And he's just, he's gone. He is like PTSD fully, has just been in a battle. And there's a line earlier where they talk about how 
I don't know if you know what it means to send all these uh, like officers into like an actual battle, which implies something for the fact that they've been doing this. This crew isn't a new crew. Like it just means that battle in this sense, as like a huge fight with a bunch of Klingons, is really rare. And so the like the Starfleet of this ship is very green in a military sense, and watching them all get killed is very. It it's a lot. It's more explicit about that, like the trauma side of it, than most Star Trek I've seen. Yeah, one of the interesting things, and one of those, like, modern TV is kind of weird sometimes. Like, they brought this character around, like, to, like, cons and, like, junkets and stuff. As like, he's going to be one of the crew. Oh, Here's the guy from the bridge crew. Yes. Modern TV's dumb. <laughs> you know, knowing full well he eats it in episode two. And it doesn't really get that much to do because the pilots are no. busy episodes. No, but, you know, you always got to set things up early on to be like, oh, anyone could die, even though that's not true. We know who the people in the title screen are. You know what it means when it says special guest star. <laughs> yeah, I like that they did that and Michelle Yeoh is in all the trailers, but then it's like, special guest star Michelle Yeoh. And I'm like, oh, okay, how owned is she going to get? <laughs> uh, extremely owned. Stabbed, in fact. <laughs> yes. Um. <sighs> Hang on. I hear that. Yeah. I hear yeah, that. I'm waiting for it to go fast. <laughs> We're not editing that. There's just going to be sirens Wait, really? in the episode. I, I, I'd really not want to edit these. <laughs> oh, shit. I did. I left the silence like we should clear this up. Okay. No. <sighs> Do we have anything else to say about these episodes? We, we've probably got a lot. I mean, there's always a lot. So the thing that's... So if you haven't watched the pilot to Enterprise called Broken Bow, you should watch it. It's about like... A Klingon ship is like damaged and crashes in like an Iowa cornfield, and there's a Klingon and the Earth Federation, or just what is Starfleet? Is it, what are they just Starfleet? Is it called Starfleet? Yes. I, there's like a specific name for like the like broader like Earth something though. Uh, I think it I might be the Earth Federation, but I like they. He says I'm from Earth. I'm from like I get my orders from Starfleet. Like that is right. how he usually refers to himself. They should have called it the Star Service. Let's be real. <laughs> Let's not be real. Come on. <laughs> Um, anyway, the Earth ship, like the first was a warp five, first warp five ship. They're like, we need to take this Klingon back to Konos uh, and establish first contact with the Klingons. A very gung-ho, like, 60s superhero Peter Parker bullshit. Like, we're just going to go and bring their friend back and everyone's going to be a happy friend. And they bring that Klingon back and establish contact with the Klingon Empire, which seemingly doesn't go anywhere because they haven't really heard from them in a hundred years. Um and what it depicted about Star Trek, like Enterprise planted his flag in, the Federation isn't here yet. Like, it's still just Earthlings trying to figure it out. But their ability to, like, adhere to the ideas that we see in Star Trek, even if they're not fully formed yet, is going to save the day. And I like the reflexiveness of this being like, you can say, we don't shoot first. We always open communication. We are going to try to save people and be friendly and fix the galaxy all you want. But, like, the minute you're up against someone who doesn't subscribe to that, uh, it's over. Like, you can't you can't have that moral high ground against someone who wants to destroy you. Like, you're just going to get owned. Yeah. And they do. It's it's really dark. Like, this opens, a, like, a door to a Star Trek that is, like, it's not like the, like, edgelord bummer that Into Darkness is. But it is, like, the, D, like the compromises that DS9 ends up talking about and making. Yeah, I really like to, as 
basically there is a world where this show basically shows how you go from enterprise to tos in like but through a very dark place uh and just makes star trek into one like thematic circle basically uh because ds9 leads into enterprise really well which comes from team blah blah anyway uh but i really liked how um the way in which uh the conflict with like the klingons here compared uh to broken bow is like the the story where the federation has got on good terms with the klingons or reconnected with them or you know those stories have been told multiple times through it like there's that star trek 6 that broken bow has some of that uh like the timeline of when the klingons were in a good place for the federation is pretty well established so it just gives the atmosphere of this show from the off like oh this this isn't gonna go well this isn't a time where everything can be carried by um the the best intentions of starfleet uh and so it's just a bunch of characters i'm assume having to like react to this atmosphere and figure out how to like, continue existing and continue doing the best they can uh in that kind of universe mm. there's uh so we talked last time we recorded like just an episode of this about how i was really worried about how the Klingons are going to be depicted in this show because of like how much Klingons are a race allegory in TNG and DS9 yes. specifically. Um, and there's a, there's a minute er- early, there's like a scene in the first episode where uh, Captain Georgiou and the Admiral are having a conversation and Burnham bursts in and is like, uh, like, how can you ever like negotiate with these people? They're Klingons that we have to like attack them. It's the only way to do things. And he's like, I think you, I thought you of all people would like understand like, we can't have the losses that are in with an engagement of the Klingons. Um, and there's, there's a line where uh, he says, oh, I think it's, it's the Admiral that says like race is not the same thing as culture. You have to understand, like these are not just people who are like us, but different. This is an entirely different species who have a different moral code and a different understanding of the universe. Well, no, he says to her, you shouldn't be like, I thought you wouldn't be making assumptions based on race. And she's like, race is not the same thing as culture. That's like her response. Oh, is it her response? Yes. Okay. But the show plants its flag really firmly in the idea that Klingons are not like where in TNG, where every, where it's like a more peaceful time and it's a happy family and you can explore this stuff. Uh, like you can have Worf is like an allegory sometimes for the black experience or whatever. But in this universe, in this part of space with the story this is telling, the Klingons are different. They are aliens who have a different moral code and are operating on like a different set of values. And you can try to find an accord where you're not trying to kill each other, but you can't just be like, if we just operate in a way that is like compassionate, we're going to get compassion back because it doesn't work when you're up against something actually alien. Yeah. Like, like the whole like thesis of uh, Tukovma is basically every time they go like, we come in peace, they are full of bullshit. They are spreading this um, like neutering ideology that basically brings everyone under the same banner, which is direct continuation of ds9 critiques and is going on in the books that we're reading in this very podcast um and like (laughs) she i mean he does he does it through kind of an icky lens of like racial purity of like they're gonna try to marry us and have babies and it's gonna be gross and we need to protect the klingons klingons forever well i know that they've said that like the, the some of the inspiration for that or it has been deliberately paralleling modern you know oh the trump thing is happening how are we gonna bring that in so we'll see how that like that is some uh, some delicate ground especially considering the history of like klingon in star trek being uh shown as like 
allegory for black experience through like the Michael Dawn episodes and influence. Um, yeah, but also like weird like brown face pirate man yeah. in the original series. Like, the, the way in which it's been a strange relationship. <laughs> yep. And it has gone up and down numerous times. Uh I I have confidence from how these episodes went that it'll be handled well. Well, yeah, like Kovma's here and he's talking about Kalos and about the uniting of the great houses into a great Klingon empire and stuff that like evokes Klingonness. And then like when he calls like the houses together in his conference, you just see the kind of like weird ball bluster and no bark like Klingons that you see in like TNG and DS9 where like they they talk a big game about honor, but they're not here to back it up because they're mostly just politicians. Uh like the guy that he talks to that has like the face paint or whatever is clearly one of those type of Klingons. He's the most like, oh, <laughs> you you come to me and you ask me to go and do this and this and you've disrespected my time and I've been wasting this and how dare you ask this of me? And the guy just basically goes, excuse me, why are you talking about these things? I thought we were meant to be about like actually about honor and battle and not just talking about them in this vague sense of get off my shit. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, no. And then as but then, he murders but, everyone, everyone starts chanting and is like, oh, I guess this guy has done it. The houses have been reunited. But then he eats it, so now he's like a martyr also. So that can only be bad. Yeah, I'm assuming that... I I thought that this show was going to be about the ways in which the uh, like the houses of the um, Klingon Empire like went up against each other and how the power faction shifted. So I was surprised to see it start with everyone like united very very quickly but then that kind of falls apart so uh, there is a yeah. power vacuum <laughs> yeah but you also have like the torchbearer guy who is the the albino vulcan i don't or albino Klingon. i don't know his name off the top of my head uh, um what's the uh over under on him and Burnham having to like work together at some point uh valk that's his name valk, valk. yes uh 100 percent. that is entirely where this episode goes right like yes they have to recognize the bad things are being done by people above them and strike some kind of deal to prevent the galaxy falling into disarray yeah star trek yeah it's still star trek yeah yeah no it's definitely star trek and the fact that i can like feel that from the episodes in a way that it was not true of the abrams movies and was it was was true of beyond but not in this way like this is an actual Star Trek television show. And Beyond was a great time, and it brought it back to something that we like recognized and I thought was very cool. But this is actually like a new, a new thing that carries the ideas that I liked from the old things and is trying to find something new and relevant to say within the like universe and lens of Star Trek. I think that's very cool. I'm very excited for the rest of the show. Yep. What? Jackson, since we're mostly wrapped up here, what are your lore rankiest wishes for what Discovery could have in it? Oh, do you like in this season or just as a thing? In general. Because we in both general. decided that it would be amazing if T'Pol showed up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know if it'd be amazing. Yes, I it would, would mark out. <laughs> That's the same thing. I would mark out hard. The the problem there becomes like how do you do that in a way that doesn't feel like we're referencing a show nobody watches? There's the USS Shran. <laughs> yeah, but that's just a thing, okay, right? Like that's not. I don't know. Like there are deep cuts all throughout. Um, I mean, like Tapol is the first Vulcan to serve on a human ship. Like there is actual ground between her and the, like the. I would like to see her. Oh, and sure, Michael but we're also we're also almost a hundred years since the founding of the Federation. So there's a lot of Vulcans serving on Federation oh, ships at this point. God, 
man, they should have finished Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, no, they really should have. <laughs> it's like a very, there's a specific like two year span where all the shit happens that they were going to do. <laughs> yep. Tragedy. I mean, we'll read those books sooner or later. Yeah. They're still coming out. There's like a Rise of the Federation book that came out last week. Yeah, no, the Federation has to rise. Yep. It, it's Trip holding a gun on the cover, so you know it's good. <laughs> oh, my son. <laughs> but the little wankiest stuff, I don't really know, aside from, like, characters I like. Um, There's no, like, pieces of the universe you want to see in this era? <coughs> it's gonna die. <coughs> don't die. I know. Um, like, I would like to go and see what like i don't think we can do what the romulans are doing right now because of how like that specific situation is so yeah the romulan the romulans were so specifically we humans have not encountered them since the earth romulan war mm-hmm. like i don't think you in until tos i don't think you want to open that up i, I don't think it's interesting to open that up yeah i think the cardassia would be very cool i want to see what cardassia i want cardassia because like i did a little bit of research about where cardassia was at this point and apparently it's like it's in a very scrappy like pre-united cardassia like just a bunch of like roving bands of people space okay that'd be uh, cool yes what if yes what if the discovery accidentally brought cardassia on the road to becoming an empire uh that seems like something that could totally happen in, in season two if i was no. making a season two of the show that is the plot i would pick you know, uh, you know what, you're not there quite yet but what are the zindi up to 100 I, years I, later I, okay i have i don't I still don't know what the Zindi look like, and I am literally yes. days away from getting to season three, okay? So I will get there. I know. I know. I'm so excited. But I, I want to know. I want to know what they're up to. I know. It's just... What are the Suliban up to? <laughs> <laughs> How's the Temporal Cold War going? I don't know if it ever ended. The discovery I have no of the Temporal Cold War ship. <laughs> discovery Space so, Mystery look, is Temporal Cold War. I'm plotting my flag. <laughs> there's... there's a universe where enterprise was popular that that's still true like 100 percent. like the way they're selling it you can see it in there yeah. it's got the it's, it's the discovery is a weird looking ship in the way not in the same way but in the way that like the enterprise j is a weird looking fucking ship but also just the way that the, they've implied like through the trailers and stuff like oh there's something weird on the ship what's going on it's and, the temporal cold war uh, obviously the temporal cold war clearly there's a there's a shadow man in a chamber that the captain can talk to uh well what are the remans doing <laughs> <laughs> Where's uh the they're mining probably <laughs> yes. well shinzon doesn't exist yet but the remans they're just mining yep. uh i saw people complaining in the giant bomb thread that the new klingons look too much like remans <laughs> with the teeth mm, i mean klingons have always had teeth like that uh not this pronounced not this pronounced for sure but you know yeah. makeup buttons. they've had they've always had the teeth yes uh, uh, I'm I am super into uh, every Klingon scene just being them speaking Klingon. Extremely, I like that they can speak. Like the translator is working, and so whenever they're talking to humans, like the translator's fine. But it seems like they are able to like choose when they want to like disdainfully spit out uh, you, English. What's, what's interesting? What's interesting to me is, uh, yeah, I assumed that was Takovma speaking English on purpose and yes. not a translator. Yes. Okay. That was how I read it as well. I, I couldn't tell in the like, I, conversations between them whether that would have been the translator. Also, as like cool as Tukovna's design is, I'm glad he ate it because he was the one who clearly had the hardest time speaking around his prosthetics. Yep. <laughs> uh, the, it's like, oh, good. I'm glad you're the one who doesn't survive past this episode. The Klingon language is it's the same language, and there's a lot of Klingon. Oh my god! But the way it's spoken like changes. It's very like, duh, 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 rather than the 
uh it's very it's very like it's very like sonorous and like this is the language of a people who really got into opera once they hung out with humans yes (laughs) yes it is (laughs) uh it's good it's good any any like other non-enterprise little wanky bullshit that you might want to I, I really want the Cardassians. I think that's very exciting. Um, I I would want more pulls from the original series that aren't just like muds here, mm-hmm. uh, because I don't actually care about mud. Like, bring back a Tholian. Show us what Tholians are up to. Encounter the Gorn. Bring me the Andorians. Andorians and Tellarites, please. I always just want them. Like, Vulcans are easy because all you gotta do is slap ears and a bad haircut on someone, and they're a Vulcan. <laughs> and everyone else requires some work, but they're they're like Tellarites are super interesting, and they're in like three episodes of Star Trek. Period. Like in the entirety of Star Trek. Oh. Where are the Breen? <laughs> <laughs> Off in their fridges. Yeah, that's true. Uh, should we do the couple questions we've got? Yeah, let's do some questions and get out of here. Okay. Okay, so we have a question from Hunter uh, who asks, uh, or says, I guess, Unlike you two, I had low expectations going into Discovery. Coming out of the first two episodes, though, I am very excited to see what the rest of the show has in store. I have a question after reading a tweet from M about how Discovery might be a space mystery in and of itself. Brian Fuller originally wanted the show to be an anthology series, with each season going forward in time to a different era. Uh, to me, this adds credence to the idea that the Discovery is some weird ship using uh, tech from different eras, kind of like the Klingons have. Uh, I guess the question I'm trying to get to is, do you think Discovery is going to have a clean ending, or are they going to live leave it open for a second discovery based season well i mean we've answered what we think the second season's going to be in this form of the show if it gets there yeah i think i i don't i think the anthology idea while it's the thing i want the most i think that died with fuller i think you will just get captain burnham well that, on the that died before fuller like they, they went he went to them and said i want to do this and they said fuck off that's way too expensive and then they re then discovery came about from that is that's fair. how like i've read a couple of those stories that is my understanding of it maybe it went down a different way but yes it wasn't mm-hmm. the discovery was meant to be the first season of an anthology show and then that changed but yeah uh we'll see i would i i think that discovery will go on for a while they're putting their weight behind it if it survives so, it'll go on for a while so i think um i think that you're i don't think there's going to be like a ton of time travel just because it would evoke too much the temporal cold war stuff I think that's like tricky ground, especially with like Star Trek fans who are going to be really an- like your average Star Trek fan who's not me and Jackson are going to be really annoyed if you bring up the Temple yeah, Cold that War guy or just evoke walks it at out all. Onto this bridge with that like <laughs> that weird uniform from the whatever century it was from the beginning of yep. season two, <laughs> Enterprise J. Oh, fuck. Anyway, um, but um, I think I think it's likely that like. What I expect is that that ship is like has the air of being like, here's our think tank for like the best of the Federation to like help combat the Klingon menace, blah, blah, blah. And it's actually like a Section 31 front Mm -hmm. or maybe not explicitly that, but in spirit that where it's like we are going to do the black ops shit that no one else can do because we actually have these genius minds thinking of all this crazy stuff. And if that crazy stuff happens to involve going to the mirror universe, I'm not going to say no. I know Jackson scoffs whenever I, scoff, I bring up I, I, Discovery Mirror Universe. I would, but. Lo- like, I would love it in the same way that I joke about the Temporal Cold War, but I think it's it's not far off as being that ridiculous in terms of bringing it into a show. I think the Mirror Universe is a beloved Star Trek thing in a way that the Temporal Cold War is the opposite of that. You're right, but they're trying to get like new people into the show. They'll try, like, sure, but if it. you ask if you if you asked a casual person what they knew about Star Trek, evil Spock with a goatee is on that list. Uh, you're right, but they 
people in boardrooms sent to other people writing scripts that they wanted Star Trek Game of Thrones. That is not a, like that is what this show is on some level, and I think it's amazing that they were given that note, and it is like starts as good as it does, but. I, th- I think that is going to be like a guy like it's going to be more just politicking and stuff in the universe i don't think they would break that for mirror i'd love to be wrong i would love for so let me let me ask you let, let me ask you two questions ruminating on the same okay. point do you, would you rather do you think it's more likely that they do mirror universe or tri- like trip into the kelvin universe uh i think it's more definitely more likely they do mirror universe because at every single like convention, they have put up a big banner s- spelling out, this is in the Prime Universe, dear God, don't attack us. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. um, and second, do you think they'll do the Universe before the Kelvin first does, where clearly the next uh, movie is them going to the Mirror Universe to find Kirk's dad, but he's evil? <laughs> we, we were like, oh, how do they bring Kirk's dad back for four? Because I know that that's what they want to do. They want to bring Chris Hemsworth back. And then suddenly we're like, oh, right, Mirror Universe, but Kirk's dad's evil, but he doesn't care. It's Die Hard 3. <laughs> It's Kirk's dad. He's evil. And because he's Chris Hemsworth in 2017, he's two Kirks put together in terms of size. (laughs) Uh, Not as extreme, but he definitely, the rock happened to him in the same way. He's just yeah, a like if you look if you look at Trek 09, he's just a dude. And now he has been Thor for a decade and he's a massive man. Yes. Uh, uh, The possibility is huge. I have. I can't wait to find out what the space mystery behind Discovery is. I'm glad there's a big space mystery. I love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have um, one more question from Nikki Flowers who asks, why do they call it... Uh, no, that's not what she says. Hang on. The que- the email isn't in my inbox for some reason, so I'm remembering it from the time I got it. But it's basically... There it is. I've got it back. Right. Who decided to call the new timeline the Kelvinverse? And can we please think of something that isn't as corny? Kerflucking uh, Pla, Nikki Flowers. <laughs> So it's called the Kelvinverse because it was created when the USS Kelvin was destroyed by Nero coming back from the past, thus splintering the timelines forever. Exactly. That is true. Um, that, that, it, we call it that colloquially because it's the obvious point and calling it Abramsverse was stupid even when Abrams was making those movies and now he's not. So it's extra double plus stupid. I'm so glad. We, like, why be mad at Kelvinverse when we could be happy that we left Abramsverse behind? Nope. Yep. Abrams is going to make Star Wars. <laughs> he's not here in Star Trek anymore. <laughs> uh, Side couple Star Wars notes. One, the fact that Abrams is making Star Wars Nine is one of the funniest things to me. <laughs> it is nope. deeply hilarious on a level that only a few like into film people get, just for how hoisted he has been by himself. Yeah, uh, that dude was given the keys to Star Trek, fucked it up, was given the keys to Star Wars, thought well, thought he had the keys to Star Wars, and was shown the door immediately, and only came back for work for hire, basically. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to end it with the realization that took me like 12 hours. The fucking younglings die. The younglings die in this episode at the academy on vulcan the klingons attack in the flashback i don't i don't so i don't i don't think an outpost being attacked by like a an alien race counts as the younglings being murdered yeah but i don't think the attack on the jedi temple by a bunch of stormtroopers is the younglings being murdered it's like (laughs) they show that room because a vulcan a vulcan child didn't toddle up to a klingon warrior and be like master course what do we do Yeah, but he walks into like the pods from that movie, and the, they're all on fire. And I'm like, oh no, the Vulcan younglings! <laughs> the, the pods were on fire. It's a lot. 
<laughs> and then he's like has to revive her through mind melding. Yeah, no, you shouldn't mind meld with someone in that sort of state. You probably shouldn't mind meld with a child, honestly. It's remarkable to me that she grew up to have like the most like terribly imbalanced sense of how to control herself with all this trauma. Who could have seen this coming? You know, yeah, no, never. Uh, remember when Gene Roddenberry was like, no one can ever argue on Star Trek. Gene Roddenberry was fucking wrong. And now and he's dead. Now he's he's dead. been dead a long time. Yes. Thank you. You beat me to it. Uh, this is great. I'm very excited to be back. We'll be here every week. Yeah, um, we have an actual episode about a book coming out in like two weeks, yes. so look forward to that. And there'll be another one of these. I'll watch episode three of the Orville and tell you just how bad about gender oh, it is. Oh, Brown and Brackett did a gender episode in 2017. <sighs> I know. <sighs> There's a robot on Shenzo, <laughs> and we need to know why. There is just a robot that's just got a Darth Punk helmet. It's just a in December. In December, we are going to be reading that first discovery book. It takes place on the Shenzo. It's like right when Michael Burnham is on the ship for the first time. I think. Uh, I thought it was a year before. The the back of the book says acting commander Michael Burnham. Okay. <laughs> okay, I didn't know the exact point, but it apparently ties into stuff with Pike. So we'll see how that ends up going. Turns out the people that write Star Trek books, because it's not like they got new people. It's just still the Star Trek people. And yeah. so much so that the Star Trek people are involved, like the book people are involved with the writing of that show since the fuller stuff kind of fell apart and they just handed it over to the people who've been doing it forever. Which, which the part where it opens with these, this crew that you're about to meet and most of them are going to die have been on a mission together for seven years. Almost as if we have a book series <laughs> that we plan to launch about those adventures. Almost <laughs> as if. Weird. We're here for it. I'm here for that ship. It's a beautiful ship. I love that it's an old ship. She's it, it, One, it looks kind of like the NX, which is always a good <laughs> look to me. And yeah. two, she's like, yeah, it's been around for 30 years, but I like it. It's a good sturdy ship. And I'm like, yes, it's a good sturdy ship. Fuck these new ships. Because they give, uh, like, Michael gives shit about, oh, these transporters use way too much power. Why are you still using them? And she's like, it's old. Fuck you. <laughs> you know? uh, we have to end this podcast because we will just yell about Star Trek forever. Yep, so please enjoy uh, Watch Discovery. Uh, if you can afford to pay for it, pay for it if you're in America. That's what I would say. Like, I don't, I'm not going to begrudge anyone who torrents it. Torrents it all the time. But if you can pay for it, pay for it. Because this Star Trek exists only because it's on that app because Star Trek is ludicrously, illegally expensive. And it, ne it needs people to pay for it to continue to exist. And I want Star Trek to continue to exist. They would let me VPN into America and pay for it so I could watch it the night of. I would, but they won't let me. Yep, no, that's fair. All right, that's it. Have fun. See you out there, I guess, next time, next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. We're not even doing a plug zone, are we? We're just done. We're done. Oh, God, right. Jackson, do the plugs as fast as possible. Fuck, I hoisted myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are at abnormalmapping.com we have a bunch of other podcasts there with their own little shortcut URLs we have a game club called Abnormal Mapping at thebestgame.club this podcast is at starttrekpodcast.space me and Molly are going through the ludicrous uh, storyline of the Amory Wars in the Amory score that is at ineedmayo.com uh, there are other podcasts launching soon there is a Patreon podcast called The Great Gundam Project which you can get if you subscribe for one dollar or more a month at patreon.com slash abnormal mapping those are the plugs I did it radio voice
Yeah, no, you can find me at em underscore being. We have a YouTube channel where we I do Let's Plays. Uh, we should probably think about putting these Star Trek episodes up on the YouTube channel at some point. I intend to do that. Okay, cool. That's now it. That We're I've done. It, Come back next week. Yes, goodbye. Yeah, no, now you got it. You're on the hook. On the bye, hook. Bye, 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 bye. bye, bye, bye. <laughs>